Good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Tim Sridharan, and let me just read our scripture today, and then I'll open us in a prayer. Uh, feel free to just listen along as we go through the book of Luke, chapter 9, verses 37 to 43. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to spend time with you here today. Praise be to you that you are alive and well. And Holy Spirit, come and may your word transform us. May your word shape us and show us not only what your word is saying, but what it is calling us to do. So let us be a people so faithful and as we understand what it means to lean into you and uh, learn to just trust and walk by faith. Show us who you are more and more each and every day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As a kid, um, boys would always, this kind of this macho bravado manhood symbol would be like, how much do you know about cars? And I knew absolutely nothing about cars. My friends would be like, oh, check that out. That's a Lambo. Check that out. That's a Ferrari. And, and my dream car as a kid, for those of you who are old enough to remember this, is a Toyota Paseo. It's, it's like a $17,000 kind of Ford Focus S car, which maybe says more about me than anything else and my love for budgets. Um, and so... As I got older, one of the like, peop- guys were like, oh, can you drive manual? Can you drive manual? And I was, I was like, no, no. But I did learn how to drive manual, and I'm thankful to my wife for teaching me. Because when we got married, I crossed this like, m- apparent manhood threshold by learning from my wife how to drive stick. And if anyone has ever learned to drive a manual transmission, it's a bit of a, let's say, up and down adventure at the start. We took a trip to the Gatineau. We had just gotten married, and so we're, uh, this is the one car that we had. And I had to learn. So I remember the first few times, you know, stalling, get, trying to get it going, stalling. And then by the time we were driving like past Ottawa, I felt like once you get a, co- a manual car going, it's pretty smooth. It's easy to kind of change between gears. I got to the Gatineau. We drove around different places. I felt like I was, you know, making little mistakes here and there, but I was getting it. I was getting this. And then we came to Nicholas Street in Ottawa. And for those who've learned to drive a standard car, think of this. Advanced green, left-hand turn, uphill. (laughs) I stalled the car seven consecutive times. I was panicking. I'm like, where are the four ways? People are beeping at me. My wife is just very calm. She knows what she's doing, so she's just very calm and lets me just learn my lessons. Very gracious. I just remember, I'm like, oh, man. I felt like I just got this. I felt like I just figured this out. And then I fell flat on my face. So why do I even share this story? Because I think learning 
is a bit of an up and down adventure. When we learn new things, as we learn old things, we have our high moments, we have our low moments, we learn something, we get it exactly right, and then we fall flat in our face moments later. Uh, even as a pastor, I've, I've only been serving in this community for four plus years, but some days I feel like, oh, praise God, that seemed to go really well. And the next day I'm like, what was I doing? What was I thinking? Even in all kind of things that I've, I've, in life, I just find myself, I have moments where I feel like I'm getting it and moments afterwards where I'm not getting it. Kind of learning and it's kind of an up and down adventure. I don't, I don't know about you, but maybe your up and down adventure was maybe school. You, you conquered chemistry with the help of a tutor and then you failed physics the following year. That's actually my story. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's parenting. You have this great moment with your son or daughter where you feel like you helped them just walk through something difficult and then like 10 minutes later you're kind of just like screaming and angry at them for reasons you don't even know. This is also my story too at this point in life. Maybe, maybe your up and down adventures involve just broken relationships or the people you know in your life. Maybe it's your career trajectory kind of going up and down and up and down. Maybe it's even just recovery from grief, bereavement, the loss of someone you loved. It could be friendships or just anything in life altogether. Today we're going to be going through a story in Scripture where we see the disciples, the followers of Jesus, and their up and down struggle to trust God. And I really think as we spend time in Scripture and the Word of God, I believe we will also see how those up and down struggles give us hope today as we seek to follow Jesus ourselves. If you're new today, I just want to say welcome. Thank you for joining us. We hope this is a chance just to understand more about what the Bible says and what we as a community believe and what following Jesus entails. Uh, we just invite you to keep exploring, keep asking your questions and learning more about who this Jesus is. Uh, for those who have been kind of tracking with us for weeks, uh, we've been studying the book of Luke. And we've been spending lots of time in Luke chapter 9. And Luke chapter 9, if you... Yeah, we, we see at the beginning, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples, his 12 closest followers, and he gives them uh, the ability and strength to actually uh, proclaim the good news of Jesus as well as heal people. And we're not talking about healing like a doctor. We're talking miraculous healings that go beyond comprehension. Yet right after that story, there's a feeding of the 5,000 people, and the disciples are like, Jesus, send these people away because they're going to die. They're, they have no food here. And Jesus says, you feed them. And they're a loss. They're at a loss of what to do. The 12 disciples, these 12 men who have just been cast, you know, healing people, are at a loss of how to ask God or lean into Jesus to do something miraculous once again. Then we come to the story in Luke chapter 9 where uh, Jesus is asking his disciples who, he, who they think he is, and Peter kind of gets it. He's like, we think you're the Messiah, which is kind of like the Savior, like the King, the one who will not only free Israel, but all of God's people. Yet, then Jesus says, yeah, you got it, but, and then he explains to them how he will be a suffering Messiah, and it throws them all into confusion again. So they kind of get it, but they kind of don't. Then they go on to this mountain, which Paul preached about two weeks ago, and they have a partial recognition of who Jesus is, and they kind of get him more. They hear about who Jesus is from the mouth of God and what his mission is, yet they grasp it, but they don't fully grasp it. Throughout the book of Luke chapter 9, we see the disciples having a real up and down time, up and down time of learning who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. Sometimes they get it right, and immediately afterwards they completely miss the point. You know what? If these disciples were learning to drive a manual car, they probably would have destroyed the transmission by now. 
One thing we love doing here is reading through Scripture. So if you brought a Bible, feel free to open it up. Uh, if you have a Bible app, you can turn it up on your phone there. If you don't, feel free to go to something like Bible Gateway and punch in Luke 9 into the search engine. Or pick up one of those blue Bibles in the rows in front of you and open up to page 842. And just kind of read along with us as we go. We'll be in Luke chapter 9, verses 37 to 43. Page 842 in the Blue Bibles. Luke is actually the third book of the New Testament. Old Testament being before Jesus and kind of New Testament starting off with the life of Jesus and kind of the beginning of the church. There are four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of, uh, of the life of Jesus. And today we'll be studying, we're, we've been in a series in the book of Luke. But today's story, uh, Matthew and Mark also write about. And so what we're going to do periodically is I'm going to take a moment just to stop and look back at what Mark says about this or what Matthew noted about this. And I kind of these three stories kind of combined help us have a greater understanding of what's going on here. So let me read verse 37. And what we're going to do is read a verse or two, talk about it, and work our way through this passage. So let's begin in verse 37. The next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. This story immediately follows the transfiguration story where Jesus took three of his 12 disciples that he, that he sent out on that mission trip and they climbed a mountain and they heard God affirm Jesus by saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. A realization that this is God's son and not only that, this is, listen to his words because he is fulfilling a mission that he needs to complete. And as the three, Jesus and the three disciples come down from the mountain, people are just waiting for Jesus. I guess it goes without saying, this is how popular Jesus was, how much people drew to him. If you look at the Gospel of Mark, Mark notes that when they come down the hill, the religious leaders and the disciples are arguing right when, the, right when Jesus kind of comes down with the three disciples. And why is that? We'll see a bit more about that in verse 40. In verse 38, it says, A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions, so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him, and it is destroying him. Luke is really bringing out the sense of desperation here. Look at the word. He says he comes to Jesus and he begs. Even in verse 40, he begged the disciples to heal. And you can even see the greater desperation of a father to save the life of their only child. This man is looking for anything that can save the only child that he has. And look at the description of what is happening in verse 38 and 39. He, this child screams suddenly. He has convulsions and it scarcely ever leaves him. A father can see the torment and pain in his child and how he is suffering. I remember before I had kids, one of my friends who had kids told me, when your kids are young, I would wish anything, I would wish any sickness upon myself before, I wish it, before seeing it happen to them. And you know when a young kid is sick, they're in pain, they're in turmoil, and it's just, they're, they're almost irrational. And there's nothing you can kind of almost do to comfort and console them. 
And as an adult, you almost wish, like, I wish I was sick because it would be easier to manage my sickness than manage the sickness of this child. Now, you can't actually do that unless, you know, you give all your kids the flu shot and avoid it yourself. But that's also not a good idea. But I can see how the father also knows how this impure spirit is destroying his child. Not only is this child going through a hard time, it's getting worse and worse. And he knows that as a father, if something isn't done soon, he may lose his only son. There's a great sense of urgency here to save this child. And the man continues speaking to Jesus in verse 40. He says, I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. This is amazing. Once again, the word begged shows the level of desperation in this man. Disciples that were asked to heal this boy, they weren't Peter, James, and John because they would have been on the mountain with Jesus, but it probably included the other nine who were sent out on that mission trip and were given the authority to heal and perform miracles on that trip. The very same men in verse 6 who were healing people everywhere all of a sudden weren't able to trust in the power of Jesus to heal this boy. They had just trusted God for something massive and now they failed to do so again when asked. I think at the end of the day, I kind of feel like I can kind of relate to that story. I think there's, I remember I worked for an organization uh, called Power to Change and I had to raise my own financial support, like many of our national workers and international workers. And that's a tough thing. You have to raise your own ministry costs, your own salary, uh, and if you don't raise your own money, you, you just don't get paid. Um, and I remember coming back from being overseas for three years and having not much left. <laughs> and I remember even some of my paychecks were like less than 50% of what I should have been getting. And I remember thinking to myself, how am I going to just manage and get by here? Yet then God showed up and someone just gave me a, a big gift one time and said, use this uh, to take care of yourself. And I just remember being like, God, you're so amazing. Thank you for providing I remember people saying, hey, you're home for a year. I know you, it makes no sense to buy a vehicle or you're home for six months. Here, borrow this car for the next little bit of time while you're home. And I just remember God providing and God providing and then give it a week, sometimes give it a day. Right? I'd be like, oh, I still need to raise more money. God, will you really come through? It's amazing how in my own heart I can see, I, I see God answer. I'm like, amazing. And then the next day I can be like, oh, I can I even trust you for this? Or what is wrong with me? Why can't I trust and keep trusting? When I read the story, I think it's easy to be judgmental of the disciples. Like, how can they understand this? <laughs> they were literally walking with Jesus every day. And they were literally sent out by Jesus to heal, and they couldn't trust him for more and more as time went on. And so I was asking myself, why? Why was it so hard for them? Why was it so hard for them to trust Jesus? And I think I, think I understand one aspect of it. This Jesus who they discovered was the Messiah wasn't exactly the person they expected him to be. The Messiah, the Savior, was supposed to be this figure of power or wonder, almost like a superhero. He was supposed to come and overthrow the Romans and free the Israelite people from the shackles of uh, foreign oppression and colonialism. Yet, the disciples kind of knew Jesus. He wasn't powerful. He wasn't from any particular great family. He, wasn't from a, he didn't carry a military presence. He wasn't a king. And beyond that, when they asked him 
uh, what's the way you're going to solve our problem? He told him, my way is a way of suffering, pain, and difficulty. You know, with a superhero, they usually have some sort of special power, skill, uh, or ability to lead people. Or if they're like Batman, with none of that, they have lots of money and lots of time to build resources that they need to accomplish the task. Yet, if the disciples were to ask Jesus, what's your special power? What's your special gift? He would have been like, I am going to suffer and die for you. And I think I was, if I was a disciple, I'd be like, that is a horrible idea and a horrible gift. Jesus was supposed to be this hero, but he acted in a way that was completely different. And his way was completely unexpected to the people who were following him. They didn't truly understand who he was. And that's why I think it was hard for them sometimes to follow him and trust him. And I think therein lies a great lesson. We need to know who Jesus is in order to trust him more and more. We need to know who Jesus is in order to trust him more and more. In Mark's version of the story around this part, The teachers of the law and the disciples are arguing as to why the disciples can't drive out this demon. And so as I was reading through this, the natural question I had was, why couldn't these disciples drive out this demon? They'd just been given authority to do such things, and why now all of a sudden were they stuck? What prevented them? And Jesus kind of begins to indirectly answer this over the next couple verses. Let's read verse 41. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Anyone else feeling that response is a little harsh? Um, But think about it from the perspective of a teacher who's teaching someone the same lesson over and over again and they just don't get it. And be like a teacher teaching a kid, what is two plus two? And the kid comes in this week, he's like, I think three. You're like, no, let's try again next week. They're like, I think it's one over X. You're like, no, the answer is four. Uh, How hard could this be? Yet, I know even in my own life, there's lessons where I feel like I fail over and over and over again. I know when I was (laughs) just getting out the door on time, I was... um, my parents would actually, I shouldn't say my parents, my dad would be uh, frustrated with me. My mom was also always late. Um, I would be about three to four minutes late out the door every day. Not too extreme, but just enough to frustrate everyone in the house. And, and to my dad's dismay, I just couldn't seem to get this lesson of getting out at the door on time. And now as a father, my dismay is, the question I feel like I'm asking that I feel like my boys don't get is, did you wash your hands? Did you wash your hands with soap? How come your hands aren't wet? I feel like I hound them over and over again with these questions. Let me smell your hands. Did you actually wash it? We all have lessons where we fail at over and over again. Lessons where it seems more down than up in our adventure to learn. I don't know about you, but maybe it's a lesson uh, around just don't procrastinate or discipline or even just spending time with Jesus, valuing people over tasks or even just taking care of our bodies. You can see the frustration in the response of Jesus. The word unbelieving in verse 41 in other versions translates as faithless. The word perverse can be swapped out for twisted or crooked. 
Jesus is fully human and fully God. It's one of the mysteries that we love. Yet there is no sin in him, but there is a struggle here that is exhausting and tiring. That is exhausting and tiring for a teacher who is teaching the same lesson over and over again, and his best students keep missing the point. Yet even in that, his response is for the man's son to be brought to him. And look what he does in verses 42 and 43. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. This is incredible. Jesus speaks and the impure spirit is gone. He heals the boy and and gives him back to his father. And all the people marvel. Yet the interesting thing is, once again, I'm still left asking the questions. Why weren't the disciples able to do this? Of course Jesus could heal. We know that. But what was wrong with the disciples? Were they missing something? If you go to, if you ever want to, after you go home, you can feel free to look up Matthew 17 and Mark chapter 9 for the parallel stories. And in Mark's telling of the story, Jesus tells the disciples that this kind can only come out through prayer and fasting. In Matthew, he says a lack of faith is front and center, which is similar to Luke, who says this this unbelieving generation or faithless generation. If Mark says prayer and fasting and Matthew says lack of faith, which one it is? Which one is it? I think, quite frankly, they're kind of like two peas in a pod. As one commentator I read put it, Mark hears the issue as prayer. Matthew hears faith. Is there any difference? Not much. For prayer is simply faith breathing. Let me read that again. Mark hears the issue as prayer. Matthew hears faith. Is there any difference? Not much. For prayer is simply faith breathing. To pray and ask God for the healing of an individual assumes faith it means that you are placing your trust in the nature and the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. Prayer, simply put, is the outworking of trust. Maybe put it another way. You don't go to your doctor and ask. Prayers, you don't ask your doctor for help if you truly don't believe that they can actually help you. And we don't go to our Heavenly Father and ask and pray if we don't believe he can truly answer or has the authority to do something. To ask God for a healing of an individual, for food to feed 5,000 people, or to heal a demon-possessed boy assumes that we can actually believe that God can heal and provide. The interesting thing here is that the crowds marvel and ooh and ah over Jesus and what he did. Yet in the next section, Jesus continues to explain what type of Messiah he is, one who suffers. And it just throws the disciples into another downward spin as they continue to struggle to understand who Jesus is. So, where do we go from here? I think the first thing we do is we take great comfort in these disciples. And I take great comfort in the ups and downs of these disciples. That's the reality of following the God of the universe. It's an up and down learning adventure. And some of the greatest followers of all time were up and down 
throughout their journey of faith. Trusting God isn't something we just figure out and move on. It's the continual adventure that involves trusting more and more each and every day. If it's a continual adventure that involves more and more trust, then my question is, what is trust or faith? It isn't about mustering up the will to believe. Often I think we think of trust or faith as like, you know, like I'm praying and I'm asking God and like I'm trusting God you for big things and God comes through and we praise him and thank him and then we ask for something and it doesn't happen and we think, oh, it's just because I didn't believe. I gotta, I gotta like think harder or pray more or do something and just like muster up some sort of will within myself to believe. No, that's like, that's like our willpower. That's like how I get excited to go into a swimming pool or psych myself up to get into a swimming pool. I'm like, I can do this, I can do this, let's take a cold shower and just dive right in there because it's the only way to do it. But that's not how it works with trusting God. Faith isn't about mustering up the will, power to believe more in your mind. No, it means that we lean into Jesus all the more. You can't whip up yourself to have more faith. So what do you do? And there leads to the next point. Just like the disciples, to really trust in Jesus means you need to know who he is. Simply put. Faith comes from knowing Jesus and leaning in to him. And faith is a gift that God gives to us. It's kind of like a relationship. The more time you spend with someone, uh, the more intentional questions you ask, the more you learn each other, and the more you just naturally trust one another. And that's why a marriage technically should get better each and every year. Technically. As you grow in intimacy and trust. And three weeks ago, I think Tim, Pastor Tim B. talked about the need for the personal disciplines. And this is one way we talk about leaning into Jesus. He talked about, you know, after his morning coffee, spending time in the Word of God. And we he talked about things, prayer and fasting and sitting with him and living in Christian community, like being, like radical hospitality, vulnerability with one another. And a lot of the things that we do here in this community are designed to help us lean in and trust Jesus more. This is what it means to lean in to Jesus. So take hope that the disciples, like us, went through ups and downs as they learned to follow Jesus. And realize that faith is not just having more belief within ourselves, but it is turning to Christ and trusting in the nature and character of our God as he gives us the gift to trust him more and more. When I look at the story of the disciples and why they couldn't heal this man, it's easy to be judgmental. How could they not get it? They were actually walking with Jesus every day. I remember as a kid thinking, like, can I believe in God? Can I believe in Jesus? If only I could see him with my own eyes. I tell my parents that. If I could only just see Jesus, then I would believe. These disciples saw Jesus every day, and they still struggled to believe. And yet, if they struggled, so will we. And that's okay. The reality of following Jesus is that sometimes it's a bit of an up-and-down adventure. Yet the call of the gospel, this good news, is not to carry on in our own strength and muster up some sort of faith or 
from our own willpower, but it is to trust Jesus, turn to Jesus, lean into Jesus, and understand him more. The more that we know who he is, the more we will just trust in him. As I think about us as a church community and where we are going, as a leader, I don't think I always know where we are supposed to go. Sometimes I wonder, how are we supposed to be a light to our community that seems so uninterested and oppositional to Jesus? What are we supposed to do next? Sometimes I even have trouble, sleep, have trouble sleeping, wondering whether we'll have enough you know, money to keep up with our budget. Will we have enough to continue to be faithful to what God has called us to? And sometimes I just sit around and wonder, like, have I cared enough for the people God has entrusted to me? The problem of preaching is this, is that God usually forces you to learn a lesson in a particular way before you can go and share with others. And this week, as I was just spending time reflecting, we had a prayer retreat with the Mission, Christian and Missionary Alliance this past week, and I was spending time in prayer, and God just showed me, you've been carrying a weight and a burden that is not yours to carry for the last three to four weeks, and feeling stressed, tired, and not sleeping well. And at this prayer retreat, praise God, he spoke clearly and simply said this. Listen, Tim, this isn't about you or mustering up more faith or finding cool strategies or ways to lead the church into the future. It's not about you at all. It's about me. Come to me. Give me your burdens. Lean into me and trust me. Know me more. You have trusted me in the past, but as you move forward, I'm going to call you to lean into me more and trust me for even greater things. And as you go, know this, you'll fail, <laughs> and that's okay. Keep turning to me. When I look at the life of these disciples, they walked with Jesus every day, and they struggled. And that gives me such great hope that I can trust and lean into Jesus all the more. Some days I'm going to get it, and some days I'm going to fail, and that's okay as long as I keep turning back to the God of the universe who keeps calling me just to know him more and more and lean into him. As the worship team comes on stage to lead us in, our, in a couple songs, I just want to encourage you. The joy of the gospel is that it is a call. This good news of the gospel is that it is a call to personally know the God of the universe. And whether you don't know him, whether you've been walking with him for six weeks or 60 years, it doesn't matter. The call is the same. Lean into Jesus and trust in him. And as we lean into Jesus and know him more, he will call us to step out and trust him more. And the good news that Jesus has died and sacrificed himself so that we may be reunited with God will overwhelm us and spill out of our lives. It is from knowing God more that we will declare to others and our communities, our nation and our world will come to know him as the way, the truth, and the life. Amen?